Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Linnea Dominic, Curiosity Intern. Well, the scavenger hunt is wrapping up this week. We had about 400 teams and nearly 1,000 participants. Hopefully, you had a chance to learn some details about a part of Chicago you didn't know that well before. To cap off the past several weeks of unlocking clues, we're finishing with a story from 2018. When reporter Monica Ang took on a question about the historic role of gangs in Chinese immigrant communities, it gave her a clue to an old family mystery. Stay tuned for some updates at the end of the episode. Here's Monica. A hundred years ago in Chicago, two rival violent gangs were killing each other over territory, drugs, and gambling. They weren't Italian. They weren't Irish. No, these were Chicago's Chinese gangs, also known as Tongs. Never heard of them? Well, that's kind of how they wanted it. Warfare between the two Tong gangs was an insulated secretive affair. This is Richard Lindbergh. He wrote a big fat book called Gangland Chicago, and it's got extensive chapters on the history of Irish and Italian gangs. But on Chicago's Chinese gangs, you only get a few pages. Asian crime in Chicago is not well documented simply because it was conducted under the veil of secrecy for most of its history. But I decided to try and crack this veil of secrecy to answer a question Curious City got from a listener who asked, how did these gangs get started and what happened to them? It turns out the answers actually reveal a lot about a mysterious 1936 murder in my own family and how many Chinese businessmen were forced to deal with the gangs or face the consequences. But more about that later. So who exactly were the Chinese gangs or Tongs, and how'd they get to Chicago? Lindbergh says there were two main factions, the Hip Sing and Ong Liang. They arrived in the U.S. in the 1860s with early Chinese railway workers, and they offered protection for their members. This came in handy when Chinese workers came under attack for driving down pay here. So as a means of self-protection, the Chinese community brought this into the United States and then divided along the two traditional tongs of Hip Sing and On Leong, which were the principal rivals in the 17th century in China. These two rival factions operated from San Francisco to New York and in just about every big city with a large Chinese population. By the early 1900s, both chapters had established themselves in Chicago. The Tongs were secret societies. They were involved with drugs, gambling, and violence. But they also helped with business development and immigrant resettlement. And they solved all kinds of disputes in the Chinese community. I could tell you what I know, but, you know... uh, Chicago and Nancy Tom married into a powerful Chinatown family in the 1950s. And she remembers what life was like under these gangs. If anyone got into trouble and everything, they would go to Onleung and they would find a way to protect them. All of it was for a fee. And when you say got into trouble, what do you mean? Say they stole money. They would handle, if he had family problems, cheating on each other or say uncle stealing from another uncle. 
they would settle all of that. This settling could mean refereeing fights or getting one party to pay the other back. Tom says her own mother-in-law turned to the Anliang during a family disagreement about money. They didn't trust the outside because they didn't understand what was going on. So it would be better to fight with your own. So for several decades, these Tongs served as the banks, casinos, courts, and family counselors to the Chinese community. But there was also that dark side, largely hidden from the outside world in a younger generation of Chinese. It involved mysterious revenge murders between the two gangs. They happened in the early part of the 20th century and were known as the Tong Wars. For my generation, and even my dad's, that meant you'd have deaths in the family you weren't supposed to ask about. Take my great-great-uncle John Eng. He was gunned down in 1936 by a killer who was also after my dad's dad, Grandpa Harry. Each year, when we visit our relatives in the Chinese cemetery, we get told the same incomplete story. The same one my dad recently repeated here at Uncle John's grave. Well, he was working in the restaurant... Unfortunately for him, somebody was trying to kill Dad and came to the restaurant, found him, and Dad had gone, and so that's why we're here. But did we ever know, like, why they were after him? I don't know, dear. But elders like my 92-year-old Uncle George, turns out they did know. Uncle George was a hip-sing leader. A few years ago, I recorded him talking about our family history on my old Blackberry, so it's kind of hard to hear. But that day, he opened up about Uncle John's murder. I know this case quite well. Let me tell you this. Happened a lot called the Tong War. He said he knew the case well. And it was connected to those long battles between the gangs they called the Tong Wars. He said Uncle John's murder and Grandpa Harry's near murder were part of the Tong Wars. And according to Uncle George, we brought it on ourselves. The old Chinatown used to have one rule. Chinatown had one rule. And that rule said when someone's got a good Chinese restaurant or laundry business going, you did not open up another one nearby. But my grandpa Harry kind of did. According to newspaper accounts of the murder, he opened up a place in Garfield Park right around the corner from a guy who already had a successful place. So they sent an enforcer to kill my grandpa, but they got his Uncle John instead. And the way my grandpa avoided the same fate was to join the Anliang. This allowed my grandpa to stay alive, build a restaurant empire, and have six kids. One who'd be my dad. This story from Uncle George explains a lot about how the Tongs enforced rules, sometimes with murder, or they could be bought off with a hefty membership fee. Uncle George says the revenge killings continued into the 60s, when the, quote, big shots of the An Leong and Hipsing finally held a peace summit in Washington, D.C., all the big shots get to Washington, D.C. We talk about it, why we have to kill each other. We should settle down. But, uh, and largely, the killing did settle down, with some sporadic breaks in the peace. But mostly, Hipsing did its thing on the north side and On Leong on the south side. That is until 1988, when with an informant's help, the FBI raided both Tongs. This led to indictments of Chinese leaders and investigations into the cops and judge who helped them. It also shut down their gambling shops, and Uncle George said that hit the tongs hard. So Chinese gambling job is all finished. 
With the gambling finished, he says new membership really dried up. But that's not to say the Hipsing and Onleong are gone. Both still have small offices in Chicago, but neither answered their phones or would talk to me when I paid a visit. The Chicago Police Department wouldn't say if it's still monitoring the two tongs or any Asian organized crime in the city for that matter. So I thought this might be the end of the line. Until I did an interview the other day with a restaurant owner for my food podcast. His name is Paul Sang, and he recently joined the Hip Sing. So I asked what the tong is up to these days. This day, Hip Sing is like a social club. Just play some ping pong, sing karaoke upstairs, something like that. Ping pong, karaoke, maybe that is all they do these days. Okay, so I originally did that story back in 2018, and a lot of questions remained after I finished, like whatever happened to the killer and his brother who co-owned the rival restaurant with him. Earlier this spring, I got some new information. I heard from Tim Hugh. I've talked to him before because he runs the Asian American Showcase at the Gene Siskel Film Center. But he told me his great-grandfather owned a restaurant in West Garfield Park in the 1930s called the New Paradise Restaurant. That was the rival restaurant to my grandpa and great-uncle's place. Tim wrote to me saying that his mom, Carol, saw my article and confirmed that my great-great-uncle was likely murdered due to a rivalry between the restaurants. But it's not like their family approved of the killing. Here's what Tim wrote. My mom said that my great-grandpa was a kind and gentle man and that the restaurant was pretty successful at the time and he wasn't too bothered by the fact that your family's restaurant opened nearby and broke the Tong rule. But his brother wasn't as nice and didn't take too kindly by it and was probably the one who murdered your great-great-uncle. Afterwards, he was told to leave the country, and he probably fled to Canada and was never heard from again. Unquote. Holy smokes, he fled to Canada. Well, COVID has stopped me from meeting Tim and his family, but when this is all over, I'd like to find some neutral territory where we can put this whole murder issue to rest and hopefully share some happier stories about both of our families and Chinatown's history. Hey, Linnea again. This week, over 300,000 Chicago public school students returned to their classrooms well, they're virtual classrooms. With so many Chicago area students shifting to a remote learning schedule this fall, some have concerns about what this will mean for their learning routines, like Azima Aydaraf, a senior at Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire, just north of the city. While I am most worried about getting tired more easily from spending pretty much all day behind a screen, because my classes are online, my clubs are online, my meetings with tutors are online, and I feel like that can really take a toll on a person's mental health. And I also am really concerned about how teachers will clear up any areas of confusion because I know in an all virtual setting, it is much more difficult to gauge each individual's understanding. So when I get confused about a topic or a concept we're covering in a class, I hope that I will be able to get the support that I need, almost as if we were in person. Over the next couple of months, we're going to keep checking in with Azima and other students to see how their new classrooms are working for them. And in the meantime, we want to hear from more students about their first days back in class. 
Are you a student or do you know a student in Chicago or the region? Do you want to share how remote, hybrid, or in-person learning is going? The ups, the downs, the surprises? Send us a voice memo at curiouscity at wbez.org or leave us a voicemail at 888-789-7752. That's 888-789-7752. Make sure to include your name and school and you might be the one we include in next week's podcast. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Linnea Dominic. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.